Hello, I'm George Mason, host of Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. What is the relationship between faith and public education? We'll be talking about that with Charlie Johnson of Pastors for Texas Children. Welcome to Good God. My guest today is Charlie Johnson. Charlie is the founder and executive director of Pastors for Texas Children. He's been doing that work since 2013. But Charlie, you and I go back a ways. We have yes, been we Baptist pastors together for all of our adult lives. Right. And we have found ourselves in deepening friendship across time and, 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 and common purposes as well, as we've sort of sifted through the Baptist world and, uh, and seen all of that shift. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I think people would be interested in knowing something about where you came from and how you came up and what, uh, how, how you came to sense the call to be a, a minister. Uh, thank you, George. Um, well, it's a profound call in my life. It, in the summer of 1977, I had just finished my second year at Mississippi College, and the BSU director, Baptist Student Union right. for the unwashed and uninitiated, yeah. uh, younger than us, mm -hmm. uh, which no longer exists, part of the, the uh, sifting, the sifting uh, called me in and said, look, there's this summer internship in Washington, D.C., and he knew I had an interest in politics. I was a political science major planning to be a lawyer. I took this summer internship and everything changed in those 10 weeks. It was a program where we uh, visited people in government in the morning. Jimmy Carter was president. Washington was kind of a southern town. It was a small town. Um, goodness, 41 years ago. Um, and, and uh, in the afternoon, we conducted a day camp for poor children. Well, mm. God got a hold of my heart, mm -hmm. as we Baptists say. Yes. And I came home and I celebrated. I knew God wanted me to do that work, to do the work of love. But also, I wouldn't have put it this way then, but also in a public kind of way. Mm -hmm. And so I started preaching. Went to finish college, went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Shortly thereafter, took a country pastorate. But uh, the question of how is God's presence and God's redemptive activity at work in the world, not just in my heart, not even just in my congregation or my Bible study or my Sunday school class or my family, but in the world at large. This was always an animating question for me. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember a time when it wasn't mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. um, my mother's tradition was Baptist. I grew up United Methodist. That Wesleyan vision of mm -hmm. the world as my parish, that right. was sort of in my inner DNA. Uh, then my mama won out. And all that Baptist emphasis on personal conversion, on the good news of Jesus, man, I loved all that too. Right. So it sort of started out with the social justice and then had the complementary right. element of the personal conversion, and I think I've led a boy with lots of fits and starts, let me hasten to say, George, and you and I are close friends, you know some of those fits and starts, but it, I'm moving, I think, toward a synthesis of these two twin pillars of, course, of our of course. faith. 
So I served uh, wonderful churches in the Baptist denomination. You and I have both been privileged. Well, and we should say that this was the denominations was Southern Baptist. It was. Although I did not grow up Southern Baptist uh, in the North, in in New York. I became one during my college years, and so together we were in seminaries, two different seminaries, but uh, our past so similar, crossed, similar traditions. Similar, but still Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we are no longer Southern Baptist, either one of us. Right. Uh, there, there came a point at which uh, the tension of these two things that you're talking about right. came to a breaking point. Uh, and and it, 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 it was a breaking point that um, continues to this day and manifesting itself in different ways. But in one sense, you might say that the, uh, the, the personal piety part that was more about the heart and the love mm-hmm. of Jesus and keeping society in a, a law and order kind of approach to things versus more of the sense that the the, the, the experiential religion we know is supposed to drive us toward participating with God in a better world. Mm-hmm. Those two traditions came into a conflict we couldn't resolve. Yeah, they did. And it's, you know, it's one of the um, sad and unfortunate developments of our otherwise very, very blessed and fortunate mm-hmm. ministry that we had this denominational conflict. I think you and I would argue that, that the powers that be in the Southern Baptist Convention misunderstood, uh, misunderstand both those things. Yes. They really misunderstand the redemptive power of Christ and a life mm-hmm. and what that redemption does and creates in an individual life, mm-hmm. uh, particularly with regard to women, with regard to people of color, now right. with regard to gay and lesbian mm-hmm. friends. So there is a very narrow, crimped, very confined right. understanding of the power, very uh, uh, wooden sort of definition, understanding of the power of God's love in the world. We had good influences, George. Mm-hmm. We had good mentors who taught us a more excellent way, starting with Jesus well. and people who incarnated Jesus powerfully in our lives and in our ministries. So we reached a point, you and I probably about the same time, where you know you were at Wilshire and I was at Second Baptist Lubbock and you came out to preach I think about 1990 or 1991 a long time ago George and you know about that time we started it was a distancing at first that then became a break because right. we knew that wasn't of God. Right, right. So I think to be fair um, we've made the critique of how they didn't really understand uh, how the gospel affected people Uh, and how it liberated them and how it gave them uh, a refreshed sense of dignity as human beings, whether uh, they were on the margins or at the center. Uh, And and I agree with you about that. I think it's fair probably to critique ourselves, right? So I think think rather than making ourselves completely the heroes of this story, (laughs) um, I I think that uh, a a fair critique of us might be, try this out for me. I've been trying it out on myself. Let me hear. You know, I, I do think that the, that the reaction that we had to uh, that approach to things sometimes uh, failed to understand that the kind of self-disciplined life uh, of uh, putting on uh, the the uh, character of Christ and the, uh, the 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 inner 
order of, uh, of our life, not imposed upon us, but coming up uh, from within us and in the yeah. community is actually an area that we could uh, strengthen our movement, yeah. uh, that we could, we could re and I do see signs of that happening, actually. I think there's a new a s sense of the contemplative being yes. added to the actional yes. uh, that's happening among us. Uh, because uh, otherwise we uh, would, would find ourselves sort of devolving into uh, merely a kind of humanistic, uh, uh, altruistic approach yeah. to life and, and lacking that spiritual kind of uh, discipline that makes us uh, more fully human. What's the wonderful verse, except the Lord build the house, the nice. labor yeah. is in vain. Right, right, it's in Psalms, and, and, Psalm 127. And I sense it in my own life. Mm -hmm. When I try to do it on my own, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it does become some kind of partisan shrill, it does become mm -hmm. Oh, well, that's just another talking head. Right, right. But when I'm really the hands and feet of Christ in right. those schools, right. and when I'm showing the love of Jesus, mm -hmm. and when I'm active in my prayers to the Lord, mm -hmm. and still in quiet enough to listen to God and don't yes. make it a one-sided conversation, when I'm in God's Word, if you will, mm -hmm. and when I'm really steeped in those scriptures, that's when it does become, it has an integrity. It has an authority. What is the word authority? It means the ability to author. God does that. Yeah. And you carry that into this public conversation. It's I'm glad you raised that issue. It's kind of where I am now in this work. Mm -hmm. How can I be a messenger for God mm -hmm. in a way that is consistent with the American ideal mm -hmm. of church-state separation? Mm -hmm in a way that is true to God's gift of religious liberty. James Madison didn't make up religious liberty. Right. It's a gift from God. Right. He right. happened to write it down in some immortal words that serve us well to this day. And let's remember that the Baptists had some pretty good influence on him about it. They did, in yeah. fact. Yeah. And so that is a growth edge for me. Uh, I do think it, it, it takes a lifelong uh, journey of walking with Christ. Sometimes we get out ahead of him. And he says, look, uh, wait on me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me catch up with well, you. <laughs> well, Charlie, let's move that from our Baptist uh, identity and our, uh, the need for that kind of balance in the Christian life. Let's move it to the public schools. Uh, you know, one of the critiques that is made of uh, urban school districts is that the family structure uh, is so lacking yeah. in many kids' lives that nothing that happens at the public school can fully overcome that because they lack the kind of encouragement to self-management, uh, the kind of order and discipline yeah. that comes from the home and the family. And I think it's fair to at least concede the point to some extent that that is true, that there is more chaos at times that exists there. I'm not sure there's a full recognition of the fact that sometimes our privilege and wealth creates a kind of lack of self-discipline also. Sure. Uh, but nonetheless, when applied to the schools, uh, th there is a truth about this idea that the better prepared someone is, uh, emotionally and in terms of security and the more encouragement you get from home the better uh, but it seems to be that that is used as an excuse to say then that's a, a, a clear 
predictive of a failing school and there's nothing we can do to help change that or to, uh, to, to give hope to those, to those schools. What would you say to that criticism? Yeah, I don't think we need to engage in an argument that we have dis, di, forces that are destructive to our societal morality. Of right. course we can see those right. and we, uh, we can see the coarsening Right. of our culture in all kinds of ways and we can see mm -hmm. the way it, it the ill effects it has on our children what i would say is that many of those parents are involved in their children's lives every bit as much as white middle class people are mm -hmm. uh, a lot of those uh parents in the so-called failing or struggling schools george are can't speak english a lot of them are, are undocumented they're not going to go to a government building right, right. they're not going to every the other side talks about parent engagement those people aren't going to go to the pta meeting they're not going to go to the parent teacher meeting for fear of being arrested and deported exactly exactly so what can we do we come in again not large and in charge we come in with the principle the spiritual principle of submission mm -hmm. And we join those community partners that are already indigenous leaders in that neighborhood. The principal, mm -hmm. the local church pastor, mm -hmm. the neighborhood leader. Yes. We identify, this takes a long time, this mm -hmm. is rocket science, it ain't well. easy to do brother. But we identify those people, it takes work, takes patience, and we come alongside them with the question, how can we help? And what we discover is that we can be the connective tissue between the school, the classroom, yes. and, the, and the family, right. and the home. Right. Uh, when we listen to those educators, they tell us, look, these kids go to church as much as your kids do. Well, I think that's something that I, I really want to put a bow on this. We're going to take a break in just a moment. but. Uh, I think one of the tendencies in uh, our world of, uh, of social engagement yeah. is that what we, we tend to do is we, we, we generalize about other people's we communities. Do. We do. And we, we char characterize them by the most uh, failing elements in them instead of looking for those places of strength. I don't think people who grow up like us have any idea the level of courage and the level of motivation and, and passion that, that, that some folks have in under, uh, underprivileged communities uh, where, where they are working so desperately on behalf of their children well said. Uh, against m all kinds of odds. And yet, when these things happen in our communities, Rather than generalizing, we say, well, you know, that's an exception to the rule, yeah. you know. And, and so I think to be fair, what we ought to be doing is let's find in all of our communities those people of purpose uh, who should be celebrated and, and, and then call all of us to live up to the highest possible standards. Amen to that. All right. Well, um, let's take a break, Charlie. We'll come back and talk some more about all this. Right. Pastors for Texas Children do two things. We connect our local congregation to the well-being of our local neighborhood school. We provide spiritual support for teachers, school supplies, nutritious food for the children on weekends when the school is closed, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, reading partnerships. These are ways that we provide that wraparound care. America is great because of the democratic institution of public education. 
We educate all our children, regardless of their background, regardless of their economics, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their religion. Charlie, sometimes when pastors get together, uh, we like to talk about how we are called. This is a calling from God. And, <laughs> it's and, ambitious language. <laughs> well, you know, of course we believe that, but sometimes we make it seem like we're the only people called by God. And, and occasionally, <laughs> Lay people will overhear us talking like this. And correct us. And they will correct us. And they should correct us because God calls people yes. to all kinds of yes. work. And one of the things that I have most been touched by over the years is the teachers and the educators, the principals, the people who served on school boards and in administration in our public schools who, who do so. And, and if you hear their story of feeling called to do what they do, mm -hmm. against all odds, without a whole lot of encouragement from a whole lot of people, hearing themselves criticized yeah. unfairly, and, and feeling like they never can get ahead, they can't get paid as much. My goodness, that sounds an awful lot like a bunch of preachers sitting around talking you know, about it really our does. Books, doesn't it? It's, it, it sure does. There's a lot of similarity between the preacher and the teacher. Yes. And uh, 7,500 years ago, George, uh, they were the same person on the frontier. 7,500, uh, well, maybe 75. Uh, about 100 or 100. You know, years. you are an exaggerating preacher, aren't you? <laughs> Go ahead. No, the, as, the, as the frontier communities moved west, oftentimes the faith leader yes. was also the, the school teacher. And um, teachers are profoundly called. When you hear them tell their stories, and that's a mm -hmm. good thing for all of us to do. Yes. Go find a teacher. Right. And ask him, why do you do this? Mm -hmm. Why do you work with our poorest children mm -hmm. for low wages, at long hours, caring for them out of your own pocket? Uh, and she'll tell you, because this is the work God's called me to do. Mm -hmm. So there's a spiritual underpinning to yes. that, a moral motivation. And it's a beautiful thing. So those teachers are faith motivated. So, what if we could get every church wrapped around every school, George? Yes. What if we've got 8,500 public schools? We, we can throw in the private schools and the home schools and that also. Education being a gift from God, public education, God's provision for all children, regardless of socioeconomic level. But what if every school could have five or six, we don't know how many churches there are. 40,000 in Texas, 45,000, we don't know. How many churches are there in America? 550,000, you add in Jewish synagogues, Muslim um, mosques, uh, con mosques right. and congregations. So if every school had faith communities doing wraparound care and praying for those teachers and, and, and writing those notes of prayer encouragement, that's mm. all voluntary, uh, faith expressions yes. that are consistent with our American ideal right, of church-state right. separation. But we have a sense of solidarity between the mm -hmm. pastor and the teacher. So we're asked, oh my goodness, you're just, in the, you're just a front for the teacher groups. We say, you're exactly right. And we have their backs too. Right, right. 
But, and that doesn't mean actually that we are here to serve their association no, or in another no, state their union. That's correct. Or to just be lockstep and be their that's right. public relations agents. It's not that. It, it's not that. And it's important to say that it's it not is. that. Because We're independent. We are independent, but we want to say a good word for people who have the vocation of education. And who, isn't that our most powerful speech as pastors? Mm -hmm. Right. When we can affirm our fellow Christians right. and fellow congregation members in what God has called them to do. Right. Right. And this is what we work at. We right. don't want our style of ministry, George. We don't want people coming in and, you know, bowing to our pastoral authority. We want people seeing us as equals, right. as co-strugglers before Christ, mm -hmm. discharging God's will in their lives in their individual respective right. uh, callings. So... Um, Education is a profoundly spiritual reality. When you teach a child to understand mathematics, to write a declarative sentence, to express herself in her innermost feelings, art, dance, athletics, teamwork, cooperation, obedience, well, suddenly I'm sounding like a preacher without ever being a preacher. When you are a teacher and you see the light go on in their eyes, right. the recognition, the understanding, it is just like they came to the front of the church and had a religious experience, there you isn't go. it? So, there you so go. it's not the same thing, it is a like thing. It is a thing that can't be separated into neat categories. But the church understood it early on, George. We did. That's why the, the minister, the mm -hmm. preacher, was the right. most educated person in the community. Right, right. That's why all throughout the so-called dark ages, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not the politically correct way to put it. Middle Ages, it was the monks right. and the priests that were the most educated people in the community and taught literacy to the people. Mm -hmm. Later on during the Reformation, what drove the Reformation? What did right. Luther do? Right. He, he taught people to read. And translated the Bible into the vernacular, Thank into, you. into German, Thank so you. that it would be in the hands of the common folk. Exactly. All right, so, you know, an, another thing that comes to mind here is when you and I talk to our peers about their, our call experience, almost inevitably, in, it's in the story we tell about our call, some preacher was involved, some uh, some person in the church yeah. who, who, who looked at us and said, I see this in you. Yes. And isn't, if you talk to just about anybody who is, is coming up uh, and who thinks back on their life when they were coming up, a teacher is often a part of that story. So who influenced you the most? Who, who, who shaped your life? Well, mama did and my, my pastor and you know, my youth minister. But you're gonna mention a teacher. But you're gonna mention a teacher. Somebody who looked at you and said, you got it. You get this English stuff. You get this math. Yeah. Why don't you think about being an engineer? Exactly. My goodness, you know. And, and, and my question really is, why would anyone in our communities want to discourage teachers, educators, George, who have you, this noble work to they do? They wouldn't. And, and yet we do. And yet we do. But with faith leaders 
announcing the message like you just announced it, mm-hmm. that unifies us. Mm-hmm. Public education is the great unifier. Yes. It always has been. Right. And we can do this again, my brother. We can do this we again. We can do this again. What is it going to take, Charlie? What's it going to take in Texas to have high-quality schools? What are we ranked in, in, in the states right now in terms of funding and outcomes? We're outperforming our funding. We are. Go on. Dramatically. The latest measures tell us we're about 38th in the country. Up until a couple of years ago, we were 45th, 46th. It fluctuates. Are we but, talking about uh, test uh, scores? Per pupil spending. Per pupil spending. But, but far better than that in student performance. All right, then. Far better in the top one half, mm-hmm. in the bottom one half in funding. Okay. So that means our teachers are doing this, garga- this, this Promethean, yes. uh, gargantuan, size job Mm -hmm. at educating children on a strapped budget, Um, uh, uh, something pastors can relate to also. What's it going to take? Is there a correlation between funding and outcomes? There is a direct correlation between funding and outcomes. It just simply isn't true that our schools have enough money. By any measure, it's not true. We're operating on about 2011 funding levels now. The formulas are worn out. The inequities are glaring. All you got to do, if any of your listeners doubt that, then uh, call Dr. Mason. He'll take you down to a South Dallas school, Mm -hmm. and you can see it for yourself. So educators tell us, you give me the money and the resources, and I'll educate any child. Any child. I'll mm-hmm. take every child mm-hmm. that shows up at my classroom. Well, you mean a child who is physically or mentally uh, disabled? So or dis- or with disadvantaged? enough resources, those are our best students. Well, all right. And would those be able to go to private schools with a voucher? No, because Why the private not? school costs. It costs $12,000 bare minimum. Okay. to educate a child. $12,000 right. bare minimum. Right. The state of Texas, by the way, is providing about 9500 Per child. Per child. Right. So there is the inequity. But a private school, my goodness, you're talking about fifteen, twenty thousand 20000 and north right. of that in the prestigious private schools in Dallas. Sure. So the voucher's $5,200. Mm-hmm. It's okay. not going to begin to pay for a quality private education. It will do two things. It will pay... For an inadequate private school education yes. that's inferior to the neighborhood public school, and it will subsidize the private education of affluent families with their children already in private schools. All right. So what it's going to take is it's going to take adequate funding. So adequate funding is going to require increased state contribution to funding that's correct beyond our local property taxes. That's correct. Because what we know is that the percentage of uh, of, of payment for public education on the state level versus the local level has been shrinking dramatically That's over the right. years. All right, down to 38%? That's right. 38% from a high of? 70-something. So our local property taxes are, uh, are creating uh, the, the, the biggest pressure 
because we are not getting funding from uh, the state and business taxes. What the, the state like. does is make budgetary adjustments according to our rise in property tax. That yes. is the way to put it. Right. They're taking our property taxes that we think are supporting our neighborhood schools and they're spending that money on other things. All right. All right. So it's going to take increased funding from the state. George, here's what it's going to take. I'm going to answer your question. It's a prophetic question. It's going to take voting pro-public education okay. and going to the uh, uh, extents required mm -hmm. to find out what candidates believe about public schools, where they stand on those schools, getting beneath the platitudes and being sure to vote, voting in the primary elections, voting in the general elections, and making public education the number one issue. It is the number one issue. And so I'm going to challenge our listeners whose children are grown mm -hmm. and they're out of the house. Mm -hmm. Public education is your number one issue. It is your number one interest. Right. Interpret your self-interest correctly. We want an educated populace. It's called democracy. We don't want power invested in just a few in the hands of a few. That's not going to get us the American ideal. It's not going to make for a more perfect union. It's not going to be in our interest economically. Mm -hmm. Where are we going to generate the economy required to make our grandchildren have the level of wealth that we have? Right, right. Well, just to, to, to tie this up, Charlie, I think you know one of the, probably the, the most um, influential theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, mm -hmm. interpreted Jesus uh, saying, uh, that the meaning of love your neighbor as yourself is to love your neighbor as if you yourself were the neighbor. Mm -hmm. When we get to the point where we see other people's children the way we see our own children, yes, and not to distinguish them in such a way as to advantage ourselves to disadvantage others, then we're going to see the public education system change, I Amen. think. And thank you for holding us accountable for it, for calling us spiritually to our civic duty about this. Uh, may you be blessed in the work, and may we see uh, some real positive outcome as a result. Thank you, George. Thanks for a coming. A pleasure. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Here's grateful appreciation to Evolve Technology for location production facilities. Evolve Technology for home audio, video, and lighting design. Enjoy more Think Less with Evolve. See their great work at EvolveDallas.com. Thanks to Wendy Crispin Caterer for guest parking accommodations. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2018 by Faith Commons. Pastors for Texas Children do two things. We connect our local congregation to the well-being of our local neighborhood school. We provide spiritual support for teachers, school supplies, nutritious food for the children on weekends when the school is closed, one-on-one -on -one mentoring, reading partnerships. These are ways that we provide that wraparound care. America is great because of the democratic institution of public education. 
We educate all our children, regardless of their background, regardless of their economics, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their religion.